and welcome to the podcast Buffy and the Art of Story Season 5. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 10, Into the Woods, where Buffy learns about Riley's dark side and has to make a choice. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist, writing coach, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. As to Into the Woods, during today's recap, I'll focus on the shadow subplot about Riley and his life's mission, ending scenes at key moments just before Buffy or Riley reacts as a way to hook the audience into returning after a commercial, which is also something you can do in your own writing. How Riley's story shows what it means to be an antagonist in a romantic relationship plot. And more of my conversation with Roberta Lipp, the co-host of the Mad Men podcast, They Coined It, and as big a Buffy fan as I am, about why Riley left and why Xander gives Buffy the advice that he does. There won't be any spoilers until the last section when I talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Into the Woods aired the first time on December 19, 2000, and it was written and directed by Marty Noxon. Into the Woods starts with Dawn curled across two chairs in the hospital waiting area, her head on Buffy's knee. Riley sits next to Buffy and Giles joins them. Willow asks Xander what time it is. He tells her there's a clock right behind her, but she says there's a watch right above his hand. He shows it to her and she says, that can't be right. Buffy sighs, she can't stand this. Why is it taking so long? But Riley tells her it doesn't mean anything. It could be worse if Joyce got out too quickly from surgery. It might mean the doctors couldn't do anything. This is the opening conflict to draw the reader into the story, and it achieves so much exposition through that conflict between Willow and Sander and Buffy and Riley. We know that Joyce is in surgery and that it's been a long time, and we see how worried everyone is. As I've talked about in other episodes, the opening conflict in a story doesn't have to relate to the main plot, but here it does indirectly because finding out about Joyce will free Buffy to relax and sets the stage for the Buffy and Riley interaction. At 1 minute 47 seconds in, the surgeon approaches. Buffy stands, her friends gather behind her, and the camera moves in close on her face, and we cut to credits. So that is the first example of a strong hook to keep the audience coming back. When we return, the surgeon tells Buffy that he got all of the tumor. Barring complications in recovery, Joyce will be fine. Everyone starts hugging each other, though Xander and Giles stop short, a bit awkward. Buffy hugs the surgeon so hard she hurts his back. 
she apologizes, and we cut to the next scene. Dawn puts chopsticks in her mouth like fangs and tells Anya and Xander that Buffy used to chase her around the house saying, I'm the Slayer, I'm going to get you. Anya says, that's disturbing. You're emotionally scarred and will end up badly. But Dawn says, no, it was a lot of fun. And this scene is a clear tone shift allowing the viewers to have some fun along with Dawn in her relief that Joyce will be okay. Anya wants to play life, and Dawn points out that's fun for Anya because she always wins. So Anya suggests they vary it by playing for real money. Sanders says, great, teach Dawn how to gamble. After that, they can go get her drunk. But Anya doesn't think the bar would serve Dawn, though they could bring some alcohol in. And she informs Dawn that strawberry schnapps tastes just like real ice cream. They debate what movie to go to. Anya advocates for the chimp playing hockey because it'll be hilarious. The ice is slippery, quote, and monkeys are all irrational, end quote. Xander says Dawn's the one who gets to pick. They're celebrating Joyce being better. But Dawn tells Anya and Xander they don't need to make a big deal for her. She knows that she's only sleeping over there so Riley and Buffy can boink. Xander tries to tell her no, Riley and Buffy just need some quiet time to relax. And Anya says, he's not very convincing, is he? We cut to Buffy and Riley at 5 minutes 16 seconds in. They're in the living room, candles lit, soft music playing, and they're dancing. A little before here, we would normally see the story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. And in some ways, it is this whole scene. Buffy is finally unwinding and letting her guard down now that it looks like Joyce will be fine. But there is a line a little bit later that I think truly sets the plot in motion. For now, Buffy says she wants the night to go on forever. She can't believe how relaxed she is. All the tension has left her body. Riley feigns disappointment. He had that scheduled for later. And she jokes, asking if he's planning on seducing her. He says always. He wants tonight to be special. Buffy tells him it's more than that. It's perfect. Riley tells her she deserves it and goes on about how strong Buffy has been. She never even cried. Now is the dialogue that I see as truly setting this plot rolling because Buffy says, oh, I cried. I cried so hard I didn't think I was going to be able to stop. She puts her head on Riley's shoulder and at 6 minutes 45 seconds in, Riley says, oh, And Buffy says, that's all in the past now. Mom's out of the woods, and I'm here with you, and that's all that matters. Riley is clearly, by his tone of voice and expression, disappointed that Buffy cried and he didn't know it. And I feel like a lot of my frustration with Riley over him needing Buffy to grieve a certain way comes from seeing this moment so early in the episode without remembering clearly what comes afterwards. Because when Riley says, oh, and looks so disappointed, my first thought is, boo-hoo, Riley, it's all about you, rather than about what Buffy needed to do to get through this. 
I do think later parts of the episode show it is more layered than that for Riley. We cut to Riley and Buffy making love in her bedroom, but at 7 minutes 37 seconds in, the camera pans out her window and outside the house where Spike is smoking near the tree and looking up at Buffy's window. In the next scene, Buffy's asleep and Riley creeps out of the bedroom without turning on the lights. And this reminds me of that scene in Buffy versus Dracula when Buffy and Riley are in bed and Buffy creeps out to go hunt vampires. It's a really nice bookend to their relationship in this season. Riley leaves the house, unaware that Spike is watching him. Spike tilts his head as if he's curious, and it makes me wonder if Spike knew Riley was going to leave, which is what I initially thought when I saw him out there, or if he was just lurking. The look makes me think he was just lurking, and this is the first time he's seen Riley take off on his own like this. At nine minutes, three seconds, Riley goes into a large old rundown brick house. In terms of the Riley subplot, I see this as showing us Riley's ordinary world and the opening conflict for Riley, the fact that something drove him to leave Buffy and come to this place where he's clearly been before. The next day in Joyce's hospital room, Buffy teases Joyce about the wig the hospital provided. Joyce thinks she'll look like a cat if she wears it, but Buffy points out she'd be a well-groomed cat. Or she could get lots of different wigs and be 60s mom or French maid mom or action mom. Joyce says she must be getting better since Buffy's making fun of her, and Buffy says they have a lot of time to make up for. But Joyce is more worried about Buffy making up school and slang and her friends and Riley. At 10 minutes 13 seconds in, Buffy says she gave Riley the day off. Joyce points out she doesn't think Riley thinks of Buffy as a chore, and Buffy says she knows that. And her next line supports what Xander will say to her later because she goes on besides I can see him anytime and I'm sure he'll come over later looking for a little Bible study and Joyce says good just as long as the two of you are spending a little quality time with the Lord those lines are a big part of why I love Joyce Buffy stops short of saying the real reason Riley's coming over, but Joyce is obviously okay with it. She might not want the details of her daughter's sex life, but she doesn't judge her for it, which is so different than the relationship I had with my mother and is a big part of why Joyce appeals to me so much as a mom. At 10 minutes, 44 seconds in, the military guys that we saw in the last episode are looking over detailed plans, and Graham suggests that they could use Riley for this operation. The leader, Major Ellis from last time, says, go ahead and bring him on, but Graham responds, might take a little convincing. The commander says, why? What's he got here in Sunnydale that's so special? And then we cut to 
Buffy. So that transition was less of a hook for the audience and more of a nice, smooth transition because that is the answer in terms of we know that's what's keeping Riley in Sunnydale. Buffy's asleep alone and she hears something and thinks that it's Riley, but it's Spike. And we are now moving toward the first major plot term, which I think of as the one quarter twist because usually it's around a quarter way through the episode, which is where we are right now. And it should come from outside the protagonist. In this case, it comes from Spike and spin the story in a new direction, which definitely happens. This is also quite a shift in mood. I believe this is the first time that we have seen Spike in Buffy's bedroom at night when she's there. Spike tells her he's there to help, but then he's distracted and asks if she's naked. Buffy tells him to get out, and he says, no, I'm serious, not about the naked part. And he goes on and convinces her that she needs to come with him. He has to show her something. At 12 minutes, 31 seconds in, Buffy enters that darkened house with Spike and sees vampires feeding on what look like willing humans. Spike tells her not to start slaying. That's not why they're there. A vampire tries to stop Spike from going upstairs, but he has no luck. Spike knocks him away, even though the vampire is quite a bit bigger than Spike. We could also see the next scene as that major plot turn, because from Buffy's perspective, this is what spins the story, but Spike already set that in motion. At 13 minutes, 48 seconds in, upstairs, Buffy sees a bare-chested Riley letting a female vampire bite the inside of his arm. Buffy makes a quiet but audible noise of shock. Riley looks up and sees her, and we cut to the commercial. So another hook. What will Riley do? Will he try to explain himself? And more important, how will Buffy react? If it were a novel, this would be a fantastic chapter ending because there's no way that the audience is not coming back. On return, Riley quietly says, Buffy. Then he calls after her more loudly as she runs out, and Spike says, We only came here because we care about you, friend. You need help. For the Riley subplot, we could see this as the inciting incident because now Buffy knows about him and that sets off his subplot conflict. My guess is that's how the writers would see it. I think the inciting incident for Riley, though, happened earlier when Graham suggested bringing him into the operation and the major said, okay. Downstairs, Buffy shoves her way out of the house and Spike follows her. He tells her he thought she needed to know. She gives him a murderous look and runs past him and away. Inside, Riley gets down the stairs and the vampire who accosted Spike yells at him for bringing the Slayer there. They fight and Riley gets out, but doesn't kill the vampire. 
At 15 minutes, 26 seconds in, we get a quick scene of Buffy in her bedroom. It's dark, and she leans against the door after shutting it behind her. This imagery helps transition us to the next scene where Riley enters his darkened house. Graham and the other military guys are there. Riley tells them to get out, but the major says they need him. There's a demon tribe in Belize taking apart missionaries in the rainforest. These army guys are going to terminate the demon tribe. And when Riley's not interested, he wants no part in the government. The major tells him they're not government, they're army. And Graham adds, just like you. They emphasize they're not the initiative, they're not experimenting, and they don't care what makes monsters tick. They just want to stop them. And Riley says, what do you need me for? This is a theme that echoes throughout the episode. Despite my boohoo Riley comment, it's clear in that scene with Buffy, Riley doesn't feel she needs him. And that is probably even harder for him because he can't help her as much in physical fights anymore. And as I talked about in previous episodes, she's been sidelining him more than she really needs to because he still can handle himself but she treats him as if he can't and now he realizes how little she has come to him for emotional support now he asks what do you need me for and he seems so dejected like he can't believe they would need him but the major says he thinks Riley can handle himself and this is the real deal it's high risk low pay seriously messy and they ship out tomorrow at midnight and the major goes on now maybe civilian life is working out for you and maybe not midnight tomorrow decisions yours once again we have a ticking clock in shadow glory literally said tick tock the major almost says that here and this is what creates the major tension for the episode there is not time for riley and buffy to work out everything that they would need to figure out I see this scene as the first major plot turn in Riley's subplot. It's from completely outside of him. The major makes him this offer, and it spins his subplot because now there is something he can do outside Sunnydale where he will feel needed, but it means leaving Buffy. This is also another strong hook. We don't know what Riley is going to do, which makes it a great time to cut to a scene with a little less drama because that question will keep us hanging in while we watch a scene that relates more to the next episode than this one. At 17 minutes, 50 seconds in, Giles hangs a banner that references every winter holiday you can think of over the magic boxes counter and he comments about no longer being a victim of crass holiday commercialization but a purveyor of it. Anya is concerned that they have too many chicken feet but maybe they could do a holiday promotion give one out free with every purchase. Willow and Giles joke about little kids dreaming of chicken feet in their stockings. 
Anya doesn't appreciate them having fun at her expense, and she says she imagines them doing that all the time and saying things like, quote, I dislike that Anya. She's newly human and strangely literal. End quote. Willow tells her no one talks that way. Anya points out how much she's done for this store, making it sound like Giles would be lost without her, basically a doddering old man. Xander points out that Willow does a lot for the store, too, and she's not getting paid. Anya then thanks Willow for taking time from her busy life to get in the way of Anya's. She's also mad that Xander took Willow's side. So more on that in the foreshadowing section. At 19 minutes 34 seconds in, Buffy comes in and tells them about the vampire house, but not about Riley. Anya tells her this type of thing has been going on for centuries. Some people get a rush from it, and the vampires get money and blood without any dead bodies to explain. Giles says the hazards of the underworld can be addictive to some, and that there is some danger because it may go too far and people die. Buffy's shocked he knew about this and never told her, and Giles clarified he knew about it in his Ripper days, which makes me wonder a little whether Giles indulged, given his experience in the chick pit in the Dracula episode. But he tells Buffy he didn't know it was happening in Sunnydale, and even if he did, he's not sure that's the best place for Buffy to spend her efforts. Maybe she ought to focus on less ambiguous evils like glory. Buffy, though, wants to deal with this. Now she's quite intense, and Xander asks her, what's the rush? Why not make a plan, wait for Riley? I'm guessing that's because he knows how out of the loop Riley has been feeling. But Buffy's determined. So we've reached the midpoint of the episode, And typically here, we see the protagonist making a major commitment or suffering a major reversal. That is not quite as clear in this episode. Certainly, Buffy already had a major reversal when she saw Riley with the vampire. And that was quite a bit before the midpoint. Now she makes a commitment because she says, back me up or not. I'm going, and takes her weapons. This is a commitment because Buffy knows she'll be facing multiple vampires. However, it doesn't feel as strong to me as in some other episodes because there's a pretty good chance her friends are going to follow her to help. And also, we've seen Buffy take on these kinds of situations without grave danger to herself, or at least not graver danger than she normally faces. Anya stays to mind the store and calls after them, have a nice day, don't get killed. The rest of them go with Buffy. Now she suffers something of a reversal because all the vampires are gone. If you have a friend who loves Buffy and storytelling, but doesn't listen to podcasts, or if you want to revisit earlier seasons in print, check out the Buffy and the Art of Story 
books. They include the breakdown from the podcast of each episode, but edited to cut out some of my run-on sentences and add subheadings to make it easier to skip to key parts that interest you. Also, at the beginning of each chapter, there's a list of the topics covered, and at the end, there are questions to help you apply what was covered about the episode to your own writing. Season one is all in one book, Buffy in the Art of Story, Writing Better Fiction by Watching Buffy. Season two is available in two parts, and season three, part one, is coming soon. You can get these in ebook or paperback editions. Find links at lisalilly.com slash buffybooks, or look under the nonfiction menu item on lisalilly.com, or find them wherever you buy paper books print books or ebooks. The others aren't sure why Buffy is so angry and frustrated. Giles figures the vampires will lie low for a bit and regroup, and Xander and Willow assure her that she'll find them later. But Buffy grabs a space heater in her anger and flings it, and it starts a fire. She walks off as it burns. This is a strong indication of her emotional state if we didn't get it already, because leaving that house burning has to present some danger to anyone in the area, not just vampires. At 22 minutes, four seconds in, Spike is drinking alone in his crypt. Riley storms in, grabs Spike, throws him against the wall, and punches him. So it's interesting that Riley's first choice is not to go to Buffy, but to confront Spike, who rightly tells him, don't kill the messenger. He's not the one who got Riley into this. Riley doesn't care, and he stakes Spike, and we cut to commercial. So there is a major hook. It looks like Spike is getting killed, though we don't see him dust. And the reason this is so powerful is that throughout the series, we've seen that major characters can die. We can't take it for granted that it's a fake out, but it is on the part of Riley. He used a plastic wood grain stake made to look real and freak Spike out. When we return from the commercial, Spike yells in pain, but then realizes he's not dusting. Riley explains about the stake, but warns Spike to stay away from Buffy or he'll use a real one next time. Spike just laughs at how uptight Riley is that Spike might be hot for his honey. And Riley says, well, Spike is. And Spike says, well, yeah, but that's not your problem. As is often true, Spike is more honest than most characters. He admits his feelings about Buffy, and he has more insight because he's right. That isn't Riley's problem. Spike's also good at reading people, and he knows how to twist the knife because he tells Riley that Riley won't be able to hold on to Buffy. Quote, you're not the long haul guy and you know it, end quote. Otherwise, Riley wouldn't be going to the vampire women. Spike also says, quote, the girl needs some monster in her man, and that's not your nature, no matter how low you try to go. 
end quote. We've heard this take on Buffy and Riley before from Spike, but later Xander will have a different reason for why he thinks Buffy seems less smitten with Riley than Riley is with her. And that's part of what keeps the show so interesting because either or both of those things could be true. It also could be far more complicated than that. That's also what makes repeat viewings so fascinating. Riley paces and he asks, does Spike really think Spike has a shot with Buffy? Once again, honest, Spike says, no, I don't. A fellow's got to try, though. Riley tells him if Spike touched Buffy, he'd really kill Spike. And Spike responds that if he didn't have this chip in his head, he would have killed Riley long ago. Ain't love grand. He caps the wine bottle and tosses it to Riley, who after a moment sits and drinks. Spike tells Riley he envies him, but sometimes he thinks Riley's got the better deal and goes on to be that close to her and not have her, to be all alone even when you're holding her. He continues in that vein and gets a little lost thinking about sex with Buffy and finishes, no, you got the better deal. And here I find Riley a bit whiny because he says, I'm the lucky guy. Yeah, I'm the guy. I feel like I ought to have more sympathy for Riley here because Spike has so expressed how it can feel so much more sad and lonely to be with someone who doesn't connect with you emotionally. And personally, when I've left those kinds of relationships, I have felt such relief and literally thought I'd rather be alone all by myself. So I ought to feel for Riley here, but for whatever reason, I don't. At 26 minutes in, Buffy's punching a punching bag on a stand in the training room. Xander is out at the magic box counter with Anya and tells her about Buffy torching the house and says something seriously bad is going on with her. Riley enters and asks if they'd leave so he can have some time alone with Buffy. I see this as Riley's midpoint commitment. He's going to have it out with Buffy and find out what the deal is. Anya, though, thinks that he's looking for some sexcapades in the training room and starts to tell him about something fun with the vaulting horse. Xander cuts her off, and after Riley disappears into the back, she asks if Xander wants to go home for some fun of their own, but he says he has something to do. At 27 minutes, 22 seconds in, Buffy tells Riley, she's not ready to talk yet. She's still punching that bag very hard, but Riley insists she hear him out. He tells her this all started as an immature game. He thinks he wanted to even the score after she let Dracula bite her, and Buffy protests she didn't let Dracula, and Riley cuts her off saying he knows on some level that's true, but it's still felt that way, and he doesn't know why Angel and Dracula have so much power over her. Buffy tells him he doesn't get it, and Riley says he wanted to, and he wanted 
wanted to get her. She feels like he's making this her fault. Oh, Buffy's so mysterious. I'll just go off and get bit by vampires. He tells her it's not her fault, but the vampires made him feel something that he didn't know he was missing until then. Buffy's so angry at him, and when he keeps talking, she says, fine, tell me about your whores. Tell me what on earth they were giving you that I can't. And here is where Riley explicitly states the theme that has been running through the episode and really previous episodes that dealt with Buffy and Riley. He says, they needed me. And in a moment, he'll talk about passion, but this strikes me as the heart of the issue. Riley needs to be needed in a relationship in a certain way. He wants to offer Buffy that emotional support. Buffy's actions since Joyce became ill and perhaps before that show that she feels like she can't be emotionally vulnerable. She needs to stay strong, keep it together, and do any crying by herself and remember in shadow when she did that what happened. The demon attacked right then. So even when she lets herself fall apart and she's alone, it's dangerous for her. I don't mean that literally, but I see Buffy's character being constructed such that that's how she feels. Now, she did used to share this kind of vulnerability with Angel, and Xander will touch on that when he gives Buffy advice, and it could be that as Xander thinks, she was hurt so badly by Angel that she can't do it again, but I also wonder if some of it is she is in a different place now as the Slayer. She has had to do so much more that this is her default. And then there is the question of, is it just she can't do it with Riley? Buffy is pretty much unaware of all of that, though, and argues to Riley, the vamps didn't need him, they needed his money. But he tells her it was more than that. They needed his blood, his body, and it was beyond passion when they bit him. They wanted to devour him. And he knows it wasn't real, it's just physical, but he craved it and kept going back. They made him feel they had such hunger for him. And Buffy says, and I don't make you feel that way. And she asks, how can he compare her to that? He's not a passion to the vampires. He's a snack. But he tells Buffy he knows what those vampires feel. It's how he feels when he's with Buffy, implying that she doesn't feel that way. And she's angry that he's telling her what she does and doesn't feel. And I believe that that is frustrating for Buffy. At the same time, she is unaware, it seems, that she hasn't expressed that to Riley. Certainly as an audience, I don't think that we have seen it. Riley tells Buffy she keeps him at a distance and goes on, you didn't even call me when your mom went into the hospital. Buffy, sarcastic, tells him she's so sorry she couldn't take care of him while her mom was dying, and he says it's about him taking care of her, about letting him in so she doesn't have to be on top of everything. And this is where Buffy most 
clearly sees the link to being a slayer because she says, but I do. That's part of what being a slayer is. And that's what this is really about, isn't it? You can't handle the fact that I'm stronger than you. Riley admits that's hard for him, but that's not it. She tells him she's given him everything, her heart, her body, her soul, but he says he doesn't feel it. And this is a point in the episode where my sympathy for Riley increases and I understand his character more because as viewers, we have not seen this from Buffy. Buffy has not acted like this is true. I am uncertain if the writer's meant viewers to believe that Buffy believes this. When Riley tells her he doesn't feel it, Buffy says, well, whose fault is that? And tells him this is the package. This is it. And if it's so deficient, he needs to get his kicks elsewhere. Then they really have a problem. Now we get to the three-quarter turn in the story, the last major plot turn that should grow out of the midpoint take the story in another new direction and sometimes raises the stakes, as it does here for Buffy. At 32 minutes, 12 seconds in, Riley says, they want me back, Buffy, the military. Deep undercover, no contact with civilians, transports leaving tonight. This doesn't exactly grow from the midpoint. This confrontation comes out of the offer to Riley and from Buffy catching Riley with the vampire, not from anything Buffy did at the midpoint, unless we see Buffy's midpoint commitment in a different way. If her commitment was not so much that she goes to that house with or without her friends, but that she chose to deal with her feelings about seeing Riley with that vampire by charging toward that house to kill the vampires rather than seeking out Riley, then this does come from that because it's the reason or at least one of the reasons they're having this conversation tonight so close in time to when that military transport leaves. This turn also clearly spins the story because now it's about what Buffy will do knowing that Riley may leave for good sometime in the next hour or so, which obviously raises the stakes. Buffy is shocked and asks when he was going to tell her, and he says he's telling her now. We don't know why Riley waited so long to do this, and I I would have liked to know that. But he tells her he doesn't know if he's going to go with the military or not, if they can't work it out. And Buffy cuts in to say, what, then it's goodbye? She can't believe he's giving her an ultimatum that she has to get over this now or they're through. Riley says that's not what he's asking her. And I believe that from Riley. He isn't saying she's got to get over it now. He is asking, is her feeling for him deep enough that it is worth him staying to try and work it out. But Buffy just can't hear that right now and says, I will not take the blame for this. And I wonder if this is a case where a character 
denies something outwardly because in their hearts they believe it. Perhaps Buffy says that because on some level she does feel to blame. He takes her arm when she tries to leave. She tells him to let go. He says go ahead and hit him, but she doesn't. And he says, I'm leaving, Buffy, unless you give me a reason to stay. I'm leaving tonight. Buffy storms out. We could see this last scene as a climax for Riley's subplot. It is the last direct confrontation between him and Buffy. Or we could see it as a churn in Riley's subplot because he didn't get the answer he hoped for and now it is in Buffy's hands whether she will come back and try to keep him from leaving. Earlier I called Riley's subplot a shadow subplot and here's why. In this episode the whole question of whether Riley will accept the military's offer is not framed in terms of Riley's life, but in terms of what Buffy will do. He puts it all in her hands, and we see it from that perspective. In some ways, that's because it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's her show, and the main plot is her story in this episode. But we have seen so much of Riley and his story in this episode and in previous episodes that the writers could have explored this from a different perspective. The shadow subplot that is never directly addressed is that this offer to Riley forces him to decide something that he has been in denial about and avoiding, which is who is Riley outside the military? What is his mission in life? And can he ever be happy without his own mission? Riley is okay being part of a team. That's a big part of the military. But what we don't know and what Riley never is given space in the series to determine is can he be part of Buffy's team or does he need his own inner driving force that is separate from his love for her. So while I don't think the writers intended it, I see Riley as a character as in denial as well. His angst over Buffy and whether she loves him allows him to avoid his own life questions, his own feeling of lack of purpose. And now he's face to face with having to make a choice when he doesn't really know how he feels about that. So that's what I mean by a shadow subplot. It's one I don't think the writers intended, but that I think is built into Riley's character as we have seen him develop. At 34 minutes, 10 seconds in, Buffy exits the magic box in the alley and the vampires from that house confront her and surround her. They are angry she messed up their operation and especially that she burnt down the house. It looks like a lot of vampires for her to take on alone, and they surround her, and we cut to a commercial. So another hook. (laughs) 
if you find the story structure I talk about in the podcast helpful and would like to apply it to your own fiction, you can download a free story structure template at writingasasecondcareer.com slash story. When we come back, Buffy tells them to walk away. They attack anyway. She takes them out fast uh, using a weapon that looks like a giant spear. The last vampire is the one who is biting Riley. Buffy recognizes her and drops her weapon, letting the woman run away. But then Buffy grabs the weapon again, throws it after the vampire, and it hits her in the back and dusts her. Xander appears from wherever he was lying in wait and says, So, how'd that work out for you? Make you feel better? This is about 35 minutes, 36 seconds in. Buffy tells him to go home. He calls after her, says she's acting like a crazy person and something's up. She walks into a warehouse and he follows. Buffy tells him he has no idea what's going on. And Xander says, no, good. So you and Riley aren't imploding? Buffy thinks somebody told him, but he tells her he saw it for himself. And he tells her Riley would do anything for her. Buffy rejects that premise, saying that Riley got himself bit by vampires and almost got himself killed. And now he might leave with the military. The vampire biting part seems to surprise Xander, but he asks only, is Buffy going to let Riley go? Buffy argues it's not her decision, and Xander tells her, of course it is. Buffy responds, what am I supposed to do? Beg him to stay? Xander asks why she wouldn't, and she says she doesn't know Riley anymore. She thought he was dependable. And Xander says, dependable? What is he, State Farm? Which, I don't know, State Farm ought to think about using as a slogan. This is a pretty strong word for Buffy to use in the sense that it does support what Xander now says, which is that he thinks what she really means is convenient. She took it for granted Riley would be there if she needed him and take off when she didn't. Buffy, angry, asks if Anya's any more than that to Xander, and he says this is not about him. And good on Xander that he doesn't let Buffy derail the conversation. He says, if you don't want to hear what I have to say, I'll shut up right now. And Buffy says, good, because I don't. And Xander says, I lied, and tells her that she got burned with Angel and shut down emotionally. Buffy says she knows the story, but he tells her she missed the point and goes on, you've been treating Riley like the rebound guy when he's the one that comes along once in a lifetime. That definitely tells us how Xander feels about Riley. I'm less sure that he's stating an objective truth, but he continues that Riley has never held back with Buffy. He's risked everything and, quote, you're about to let him fly because you don't like ultimatums, end quote. Buffy looks troubled as Xander talks, and he also tells her that if Riley is not the guy, if what Riley needs from her just isn't there, then yes, let him go, make it a clean break. 
but he goes on. But if you really think you can love this guy, scary, messy, no emotions barred need, if you're ready for that, then think about what you're about to lose. So again, we have that reference to need. And also Xander uses the word messy, which is how the major described this mission they need Riley for. And I think that cannot be a mistake, though I never noticed it in the past. Buffy now says Xander, and Xander says run. Buffy's words and actions are telling us that, in fact, she does feel this way about Riley And this is where I see some issues in the writing because as viewers, I don't think this has been signaled to us. And that can be one of the trickiest things for a writer to do, especially when you're talking about your main character. Because Buffy's the protagonist, we mainly see the world through her eyes eyes. And this is especially so in a novel where you might be deep in someone's perspective. And Buffy is unaware that she's been taking Riley for granted. She's also unaware, it seems, until this moment that she has these very deep feelings for Riley, yet to buy that this is devastating for her and that she has this realization as viewers we have to have had some sense that that was true and I never really got that as a viewer. Now we are at the climax where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. And though Buffy and Riley are not face to face in this moment, this is the climax because this is where the main plot resolves. In a figurative sense, it is the last interaction between Buffy and Riley. At 39 minutes, 24 seconds in, Buffy runs through Sunnydale, dramatic music plays in the background, and the camera cuts between Buffy running and Riley, who waits in front of the helicopter, its rotors whirring. Finally, Buffy runs over a bridge, and we cut to Riley. He looks up suddenly as if he heard something, but the camera pans, and there is no one there, so Buffy has not reached him yet. Riley, very sad, gets in the helicopter, and it takes off. Buffy keeps running to swelling music as she reaches that clearing. The helicopter is just taking off. It's not that high off the ground, but its rotors are so loud and Riley is looking ahead, not down at the ground, and he doesn't hear as Buffy shouts his name over and over and waves her arms. Her actions make clear that at least in this moment, she does feel Riley could be the one who comes along once in a lifetime, as Xander says, but it's too late. She arrived too late, and we shift to the falling action. Now, in the falling action section of the story, we tie up loose ends and resolve subplots. That has mostly been done already. In a series, we also may see movement in continuing character arcs or stories, and we get that here with Xander and Anya at 41 minutes, 37 seconds in. Xander returns home. Anya in pajamas gets out of bed. And Xander, apparently inspired by Buffy and Riley, and Buffy's words about 
Anya being a convenience to him tells Anya he wants to be sure he makes clear how he feels. He tells her he's in love with her, powerfully, painfully in love. He's excited every time he's about to see her. She makes him feel like he's never felt before in his life, like a man. And there is so much there that I wonder about what does feeling like a man mean for Xander? And how does that relate to Riley? Is this why he's so sure Buffy and Riley belong together? Because Riley is his epitome, it seems, of manhood. That is not explored in the episode. Anya and Xander embrace. And as I'll talk about in the foreshadowing section, this seems to be here more for what it does to set up the next episode. At home, Buffy climbs the stairs in the dark, but she stops halfway through and sits alone and sad. We cut to sad Riley in the helicopter. Buffy's face fades out as his face fades in and the episode ends. As this episode ended, I started thinking about who is the antagonist. At first, I thought it could be a Buffy versus Buffy story, but I think it is a Buffy versus Riley story because the goal of the antagonist is to push against the protagonist, to oppose the protagonist. And here, Buffy is not really opposing herself. The pressure on her comes from mainly Riley. Buffy is wanting to relax, to unwind, to just enjoy being with Riley without deep emotional complications, without deep involvement, at least in the beginning of this episode. Riley wants more from her, and he is the one who keeps pushing to get that and demands it at the end. So while Buffy does have growth because of this, she does realize something about herself. It is because of Riley's opposition. And this is a good example of what it means to be an antagonist in a plot involving a romantic relationship. If Buffy's change of heart had come in time, then it would be a win for the antagonist and in a literal sense, a loss for Buffy because she did not achieve her goal, but she would have changed her goal to want to keep Riley there. So in an emotional sense, it would have been a win-win. And if this were purely a romance where a happy ending is a convention of the genre, that's what would have happened. Here, because it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they both end up unhappy and they both lose. There is no DVD commentary for this episode, but as I mentioned, I am including part of my conversation with Roberta Lip co-host of the Mad Men podcast, They Coined It, who also is a huge Buffy fan. She and I recently talked about season five, and I shared some of that in a previous episode. This time we talk more specifically about Riley's and Buffy's breakup and about Xander's advice. 
I had not, at the time I talked to Roberta, re-watched the episode yet, but that didn't stop us from discussing it. So picking up from last time, here is my conversation with Roberta Lip. We had that episode where Riley leaves and we're to believe that, oh, in fact, Buffy was that into Riley. She just didn't uh, didn't realize it because she does that midnight run. And while I love it because it's heartbreaking and it's like the Buffiest Buffy, I also don't quite buy that, that that's really what was going on inside her. I never quite look at love as black and white and is he the one or is he not the one or whatever. I mean- if the timing hadn't happened the way the timing happened, because that's what happened. He yes. had no time to choose. She had no time to, to change her mind, right? So all of that, like, put all the, raised all the stakes, as you say, right? And, and so everything was super intense. But let's say Riley was thinking of making this change. There hadn't been a deadline. And Xander somehow had that conversation with her and got through to her. And it wasn't so compressed. Now, she might not have believed Xander had it not been so compressed. There's no way of of knowing. But let's say she had a come to Jesus. Like I've got the one who's here for me, here for me, and I'm not appreciating him and I'm throwing him away. Those are the people who get married and then they get divorced because, right? I mean, (laughs) she either has the come to Jesus and she sticks with it and that's it for life. Or she has the come to Jesus and six months later, he's, he's puppy dogging around again because she's just not that into him. And we don't know. Right, right. I love that. And I haven't rewatched the episode in a while. Like I'm, I'm being kind of literal and maybe it's more, oh my God, this chance. What if there is more here and he's flying away? And I haven't tried to open up. I haven't realized I was shutting him out and now I'm losing him. And there's, like you said, there's no time. There's no time for him to think about it. But or again, her. it's Xander as Josh, Josh as yeah. Xander. you know, talking her into going back to Riley as Joss or Joss as Riley, right? So who knows? (laughs) But, you know, and and, uh, again, I I think if Angel had been in her life and Angel had been able to go into hospitals or... Well, he could, but... (laughs) I can't remember. You know, both things are true where she, she really did kept forgetting that she had a boyfriend who should be included in these conversations. And that was not a good sign of how she felt. And... There was some selfishness there that Xander did snap her out of that may have been something to contribute to the relationship and saved it. it that's the piece. Yeah, we just don't know. Yeah. And, and But I love the comparison to just imagining if Angel were still around, I think it would have been natural. She would have, I mean, she did talk to him about her feelings. He helped her through a number of things, gave her perspective, but she definitely went to him and told him. It wasn't a thing she had to decide. She just did it. Look, every love is different. So it, it, it isn't fair. It, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't ever want to say like, right. I, I, I just don't think that Riley couldn't have been the one just because he was an angel. You know, it would have been different. And it's so, it is striking that the writers juxtapose the fact that she tells Spike about her mom. Now, again, some of that is he happens to show up to try to kill her when she's Such in tears. And oh, that moment I I love. And so it's partly because he just happens to be there. And it's safe to be to tell him because 
she's not, I don't know, she's not concerned about what Spike thinks or feels and and she tells him. And I know that's really hard for Riley to realize Spike is the one who tells him that Buffy's mom is in the hospital again. It's not even like Willow or Xander or Dawn. It's, It's Spike. She doesn't have to try to be anything with Spike. Spike, she's used to just wanting to kill Spike all the (laughs) time. So she really doesn't have anything invested there. But he's been around so much. I mean, they've been fighting together for so, together and then with each other for so long. Thank you again, Roberta, for joining me. It's always so much fun to talk about Buffy with you. And patrons of Buffy and the Art of Story can hear the entire conversation on Patreon. We talk about Dawn's place in the world, Glory as a villain, and Buffy's choices leading up to and in The Gift. This is available to patrons at any level of support, starting with as little as a dollar a month. If you would like to join us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lily. That's L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. That is it for Into the Woods, other than foreshadowing, which does include spoilers. If you're not staying for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening. Come back in two weeks for Triangle, where Anya and Willow accidentally conjure an evil troll as Buffy tries to put on a good face post-breakup. And we are back for foreshadowing and spoilers. That line where the surgeon says, barring complications in recovery, and adds that they'll need to monitor Joyce closely. Very subtle groundwork for Joyce's later death, which is revealed to be what is essentially a known complication of brain surgery. Sander telling Anya how he feels makes Triangle more difficult for him and raises the tension for the audience because in that episode, the troll will try to force Xander to choose between Anya and Willow. Even if Xander had not expressed his deep feelings in this episode, obviously that would have been a difficult choice, but this gives it more emotional resonance. He's known Xander forever, but he's telling us he feels these deep feelings for Anya and that she makes him feel a way he has never felt before. Anya's and Willow's bickering in this episode foreshadows next week's conflicts when Giles leaves the store in Anya's hands but asks Willow to help out because Anya isn't the most customer-friendly person. And I like that we do get some of this tension here because up to this point, yes, Willow has not been overflowing with love for Anya, but 
that has pretty much been all the characters' feelings. They don't quite get early on what Xander sees in her. I do think they grow to like her and appreciate her more, but there is that feeling that Anya says and does things that just don't feel quite right to them. And this brings out specifically how that gets to Willow and starts setting up Willow's actions next week. Spike's meditation about whether Riley really has the better deal, being so close to Buffy but not really connected to her, foreshadows so much of Spike's relationship with Buffy in season six. For different reasons, Spike will be in the same place Riley is, having these deep feelings for Buffy, Buffy not expressing similar feelings to him. Spike reacts to that much differently and I will try to remember in season six to look at that more closely look at the differences between the two characters and how and why they handle things so differently on an emotional level obviously their lives are very different so we wouldn't expect them to do the same things but what it means to spike versus riley that buffy doesn't have the same feelings for him or doesn't express the same feelings for him is very different than what it means to riley and finally those lines when riley accuses Spike of having a thing for Buffy and Spike admits it are another building block to get the viewers toward the place of seeing potential for a Spike and Buffy sexual and romantic relationship because we have already seen that Spike has these feelings and he knows it but this is the first time he has said it out loud to anybody. That is it for this episode. Thank you again for listening and I hope you will come back next time for Triangle where a troll terrorizes Sunnydale and we learn a little bit more about Anya. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story or lisalilly.com slash YouTube. You can also comment on the episodes, share them, or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Lisa M. Lilly or by visiting the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2022. All rights reserved.